This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and hey, you know Barbie and Ken? Well, I just realized pretty much I'm the Ken of this podcast, and today's National Ken Day. Of course, I have perfect hair that never goes out of place, and my muscles are plastic perfect. So perfectly sculpted anyway, but financial experts aren't perfect. We'll dive into four topics finance experts always disagree on today with the woman from the amazing Afford Anything podcast, Paula Pant, and from the What's Up Next podcast, Doc G. And finally, from this super fantastic podcast, it's OG. Plus, during our Friday FinTech segment, we'll find out how to get to the peak with your goals. Not reaching your goals quickly? Today, we'll talk to one company taking on that challenge from Peak Money. Say hello to Jonathan Yeagle and Michael Brooks. As always, we'll magnify someone's money, but most importantly, save time for my famous trivia. And now, that guy that wishes he had hair like Ken, or, you know, just hair, Joe Salcihai. I think that's cheap. It, it is cheap taking a bald guy joke at me. Just take a swipe, Doug. Bring it at me, buddy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Friday. I'm not going to let that get my way because it's Friday on the Stacky Benjamin Show. And across the card table from me, it's my good friend with more hair than I have, Mr. OG. It's pretty perfect, too, actually. Pretty, you know. pretty plastic perfect hair. Yes. It's pretty plasticky perfect. Doug does have a nice swath of flow going on up there. You know, it's always slicked back, kind of in that top knot that he does. You like just a little ponytail type deal. <laughs> you just don't want to put a put a uh, lighter next to it because his head's going up in flame with all that product in it. Just saying, mm-hmm. product. Yes. yes, product. Well, a guy Air like a guy like us who doesn't need uh, product in his hair on my dad chart wave. It's our good friend Doc G. I was about to say, you know. Doug, that cuts to the core when you're talking about the hair, because I have the same problem there. But I was interested to know that he has a man bun. I've always wanted one of those. Yes. No, it's it's glorious. It gets longer and longer. It's turning into a ponytail. It is but, it, it is scary work that Doug does there. I, I just don't want to know where that thing's going. But good news, a woman who has more hair than all three of us put together live on the shortwave from outside of Las Vegas. It's our friend Paula. 
from inside of Las Vegas. I'm from downtown Las Vegas. Downtown Vegas. By downtown the, Vegas. By the hot dog vendor. I always forget. Two hot dog vendors. There are two hot dog vendors within a one block radius. We and there's a hair salon right by my building where I get all of my, that long luscious hair colored and treated and conditioned and deep conditioned and shallowly conditioned. It's great. Do you call it that without prompting? Like, do you say, could you please cut my long luscious hair, please? Yes, I do. In fact, that's that's how I constantly refer to it. My <laughs> One of my favorite cartoon characters as a kid was this uh, character called Lady Lovely Locks, and her superpower was that she had beautiful hair. And that was all she did. That was her only superpower. She just had great hair. That was the whole show. See, this is a dream for you, Paula, and it's a nightmare for Doc G and I. Yeah, I was about to say, I never knew how much I loved my hair till it disappeared. <laughs> till it was gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing people love, guys, is the stacker. That's our newsletter that comes out. When it comes out, you can not only you will read get it when you get it, <laughs> that's you will right. like it when it shows up. You'll like it every time. The stacker uh, not only details a lot of my financial journey and a lot of the lessons uh, punctuated by uh, episodes called Strategy and Tactics that tells you exactly how to implement the stuff that I messed up. And it also tells you where OG and I are headed in the future. Uh, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker for more. And we got a great show today. We got Paula here. We got Doc G here. We got OG here. So let's get the fighting started. All right, what are we going to fight about today? Oh, this is going to be, I can't wait to see where we come down on these. This is from The Financial Diet. It's written by Shauna Thiel. And uh, it's four topics finance experts always disagree on and what that means for you. Let's see if we can get some disagreement out of this group. That's what I'm looking for. It's my middle name, so I got you. <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> is that disagreement or disagreeable? Uh, yes. I disagree that we should have disagreement on the show. There it I is. Do, I This is terribly off to a bad start. <laughs> when we can't decide on the level of disagreement, you know we're off to a great start. Shauna writes, generally speaking, personal finance experts tend to agree on several key rules of thumb. You should start saving for retirement as early as you can. You should make every effort to avoid any high interest debt. And if you find yourself with extra funds, you should focus on consistently investing in vehicles like low-cost index funds. So they go through the four things that they disagree on. Number one, paying off debt versus holding a larger emergency fund. Shauna writes, if you listen to Dave Ramsey's The World, all debt's toxic, even mortgage and student loan debts with low interest, and you should prioritize this by putting all your funds toward debt repayment, except a small $1,000 emergency fund. On the other hand, there are some experts, such as Tasha Cochran from One Big Happy Life, who focus on starting with a larger emergency fund and insurance instead of paying off all their debt. Their rationale is that in the event of a job loss or medical emergency, you can live off an emergency fund or insurance. But if you put all your funds toward debt repayment, you might not be able to find a willing lender and be left in a dire position. Where do you come down on this one, OG? We'll start with you. We never start with you. So we're going to start with you. Where do you come down on that? Pay off your debt or bigger emergency fund? Absolutely. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Are you I saying come down right in the middle? You're saying you disagree well, with all, the premise. Yeah, I was going to say we have to recognize first that 
where this is coming from, you use the Dave Ramsey thing as an example. The longer that that dude's been on the radio, the deeper he's dug that trench. Like he just has to keep on putting his thumb on that as hard as he can, because that's his thing. So I think everybody would agree that there are certain circumstances where the debt's not that bad. We have clients that have student loan debt from going to medical school. That's at like 1.6%, 1.7%. I think everybody gets behind the idea that I can invest money or I can even have it sit in my freaking savings account for the same rate, you know, and that interest rate arbitrage thing sort of pays off at that level, but not from Dave Ramsey. He can never have, you know, the opportunity to show any sort of compassion. It just has to be like my way or you are going somewhere else. H-E double hockey sticks. So where I come down on this is almost always it makes sense to pay off your debt, but I can see reasons not to, you know, as it relates to uh, kind of a personal or unique situation. Oh, Paula, those are fighting words. I know you want to fight with OG on that one. <laughs> fighting words. You know, I would say if your debt is double digit, if you've got a double digit interest rate, then pay off that debt. You yeah. have a small emergency fund and then pay off that debt. Double digit but interest rate, not debt with over 10 bucks. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Double digit meaning the interest rate, not meaning the balance of the loan. It's clarification. <laughs> but I think, Paula, what you're talking about there is like consumer debt and that sort of thing. And I think everybody says, you know, if you get 28% Discover card bills, mm -hmm. yeah, you should pay that off. I'm just curious, where do you come down on, you know, I've got a five and a half percent student loan or a four and three quarter percent HELOC, you know, should I aggressively pay that off or do I just say, eh, you know, it's at 4% or it's at 5%. That's not the end of the world. Yeah. And four or 5%, you can interest rate arbitrage that if you assume that your investments over the long term will get you around 8%, 9%. As your interest rate starts climbing closer and closer to eight to the number eight, that interest rate arbitrage spread gets smaller. And at a certain point, if we're comparing, say, a six and a half percent loan to a potential eight percent interest rate arbitrage, that spread is so small that it may not be worth the added risk. But wait a minute. OK, we've got we got Doc, we got way too much agreement going on between these two yahoos. You got to come down differently for me. You're wrong. You're all wrong. <laughs> That's it. I hate to be the one to say it. And maybe every conversation requires us to say that personal finance is. Oh, uh, my own. finance is personal. Right. Oh. So it depends. Like me as a physician, I have a very stable income. So I don't worry about it as much. I don't really need as much of an emergency fund. I know that I can work and I'll be in a stable position and I can get a job. And so it's not something I worry about much yet. If I was worried about the possibility of losing my job, if I was worried about huge medical costs that I knew were on their way, if I was in an unstable position, then I probably, you know, would want more of an emergency fund where I stand right now. It's just not as important. My problem, OG, was the same one that I'm sure that you saw with people when you would meet with them. I'd sometimes meet people in their 50s and 60s, and they've been paying off debt over and over and over because they never got an emergency fund in place. So they would pay off the debt and then have a big expense and get right back into debt. Then they pay it off again and again and again. If you don't get that bigger emergency fund in place, you're, you're not going anywhere. Well, I don't know if that's an emergency fund issue or if that's a behavior issue of like, 
hey, whew, I've got 20 grand available on my Bank of America card. Finally, I can get the couch and TV and living room set that I wanted. Great news. It's only going to be 0% for the next 15 months or whatever it is. That's probably more of the issue than I keep on having these un- series of unfortunate events where the last minute as I'm about to pay off my final debt, then the water heater blows and I'm about to pay off my last debt. And now my car needs a new repair and that sort of thing. I mean, that happens on occasion. And that's the risk between putting all of your eggs on the basket of paying off your debt versus, you know, having a little bit larger of a cushion. So if you're seeing that kind of roller coaster, if that's you in your life where you're like, I'm debt free and now I'm back into it. Now I'm debt free again. Now I'm back into it. That has less to do with your desire to have a cash reserve and way more around your just inability to handle your personal cash flow. Unless you're in a business that has that fluctuation, you know, as an entrepreneur or something like that, you may have some great periods of time in your life where you just have all of this free cash flow. And then there's other periods of time where you're investing in your business or, you know, business isn't going as well. And so, you know, there's other reasons for that. But I think behavior kind of is the number one issue there. Our second piece that experts disagree on, according to Shauna here, is budgeting by category versus simply automated savings. Listen to how much these are fighting words. This is like a street fight here. Some experts, such as Tasha Cochran, are adamant about budgeting by category, making a budget for food, clothes, personal care, travel, and more. Others, such as Paula Pant, who the heck is that? Simply, Never heard of her. Simply set a savings rate, automate their savings amount, and then allow themselves to spend the balance. And then it goes through what this means for you. If you're struggling to save enough, maybe you want to get a sense of your of your uh, budget using like a Mint or a YNAB. But um, man, come on, uh, uh, Doc, disagree with Paula. That's horrible. I hate to tell you, but I'm 100% in agreement with her. I mean, I'm not a big budgeting fan. I think what you do is you take, you know, when we were young, we took one of our incomes, whether it was my wife or my own, and we just put it away. And that was untouchable. By trial and error, we tended to figure out what to do with the other half. And so I've never been a big fan of itemized budgets. I just think it's too much spreadsheeting for me, Joe. I can't do it. Oh, gee. I know you're a huge budgeter. You sit at the spreadsheet like all day long. See, I know this isn't going to go well because I've been co-hosting for eight years with you. When Doc says he doesn't budget, I'm like, oh, crap. Yep, we're out. Yep. This is a no-go for everybody. Well, here's where I'll disagree. I don't even put any money in savings. So that way I can spend everything and I don't have to worry at all about the future because, you know. Because like, YOLO. Screw it. I'll save YOLO, baby. I'll save tomorrow. There's going to be some option thing that I can get on Reddit that's going to catapult me into the stratosphere someday. Uh, but no, you know what? I'm on this side too. I, I just... We've done it, and I have years of mint paperwork of of here's where you spent, you know, at McDonald's and going out to eat and groceries and all that sort of stuff. I'd say where we come down on this is we kind of think about it at our household level on a weekly basis. I'm less interested in keeping track of, hey, how much did you spend on food this week? How much did you spend on going out to eat? How much did you spend on charitable donations? I don't care about any of that stuff. We put everything on one credit card just about. All I care about is the dollar amount. 
And so we just know, okay, we need to be right around this on a weekly basis. And if that number starts creeping up a little too high, that means next week we kind of got to let off the gas a little bit. If we're a little, little under it, maybe, you know, this weekend we go out to the sizzler or something, you know, it just kind of depends on how we're doing on cash flow. But, um, I've done the budgeting thing. I've done the sit down. I'll tell you where, what we do though, mainly is a spending plan. So as opposed to the budget, I'm going to sit down with my calendar at the beginning of the month and say, here's where these cash flow items are. We've got, you know, charitable giving and here's where this bill's due and the mortgage and that sort of stuff. And I'm a big believer in the fact that you can trick yourself into knowing this in advance. If you plan out your month, and you say, hey, at the end of the month, I'm going to have $500 left over and I should be able to invest that for my you know, retirement or for my cash reserve or for kids' college or whatever. Your brain doesn't know that that was pretend. Your brain already experienced it. That's like deja vu. So you will sort of fall into that pattern. So by the end of the month, you will have the $500 left over. I hate the fact, Paula, these two yahoos won't look you in the eye and fight with you. I will. I'll oh, I will. It. I think there's a time when you have to know the line items, where you have to know all the line items. I think if 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 you're somebody that uh, is counting on every single dollar and doesn't know where your money's going and you need to take the reins back, you should have like a zero budget. You know, I really like the zero budget plan where every dollar has a, a use at the start of the month. I think for those people, it's super important. So there. Ooh, fighting words. Well, you know, my platform is if line itemizing works for you, then if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it's working for you, then keep on keeping on. I introduced this concept of what I call the anti-budget, which is decide what your what amount you want to save, yank that off the top, and then spend the rest. I proposed that idea because what I saw was that for many people line itemized budgeting had low long-term compliance. It was kind of like dieting, like calorie counting. You might be excited about calorie counting for a week or two, but how many people regularly track every ounce of food that they eat and put it into a MyFitnessPal app and count every single calorie or macro every day for years? Almost nobody. You know, it's a, a small minority of the population. A small minority starts with Doc, ends with G. Yes. <laughs> I have been putting my food into my fitness pal for at least three to four years. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. And I know, Joe, you've been tracking with MetPro too, right? Uh, <laughs> tracking is a different. <laughs> why, why are you bringing me into it? Because <laughs> I was I can't just. Be alone on the, I can't be alone on this island. Because I just heard, kind of... I heard Doc G say first thought I had. Yeah. I was going to say, I kind of approach the food thing the same way. Like I have an idea of where I want to be by the end of every day in terms of total calories. And I kind of keep big picture like, okay, well, breakfast was about 400 calories and lunch was about 400 calories. That gives me about a thousand to eat for dinner. But I don't sit down there and be like, well, I actually had 1.3 cups of cereal this morning. <laughs> Therefore, you know what I mean? It's like, eh, Honey Nut Cheerios or Honey Nut Cheerios. It doesn't matter how many you have. I do that. I put down like 1.35. You, you like weigh it in grams? <laughs> I do. do. In grams? If, if I could, I would. Grams of Cheerios you have? I have to weigh all my food now. 
Yeah, it, it gets uh, kind of complicated when you're at the bar and you're trying to weigh out that extra, you know, pint of alcohol. But, you know, it, 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 it works. the only thing that Doug measures in grams is stuff that we can't talk about. No. <laughs> <laughs> talking about Honey Nut Cheerios? You're talking about the, the Cocoa Puffs? Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Smashed up Cocoa Smarties. <laughs> right. Oh, boy, that took a right turn in a hurry. All right. Number three on this list, cutting expenses versus growing income. For years, personal finance was all about cutting expenses with advisors such as the author of The Latte Factor. By the way, Tasha Cochran can get two mentions in the first two paragraphs. We can't say the words David Bach. Can't say David Bach, yeah. <laughs> Administering any expenses that seem indulgent. However, experts such as Farnoosh Tarabi began to communicate a different message. Some people don't have a spending problem. They have an income problem. I love Farnoosh, but she might not have been the first one to say that. However, uh, Doc, we'll go to you first, man. Income, income, income. Grow, grow your I, income. I fall on the income side. I do not want to watch what I spend as carefully. And I think you can only cut so far. You can keep on cutting your budget. You can keep on frugalizing. But at some point, you have to stop. Now, income can be infinite. I, I don't want to pretend that everyone can make tons of money. But Usually there are ways you can work a little extra harder or do a little more or learn another skill. And I think it's very reasonable to push up on income. Paula, you know, that's crazy. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. Now I am 100% grow your income. You can only cut so far, but your income is unlimited. The potential is unlimited. So grow your income. That's where the opportunity is. Come on, on, OG, bring it, bring it, man. This is BS. It's all about expenses. It goes against everything I just said in the, the previous two statements. So listen, I'm, I'm on the income side primarily, but on the expense side, we definitely don't give that enough credit because it's a cop-out. You can make it a total cop-out to be like, oh, I just, you know, it's like too hard to keep track of, or, or I'll just go make more money and then I don't have to. And while David Bach's premise of like your latte is killing your retirement. I vehemently disagree with. I do think that there's a whole bunch of little things that if you're aware of back to your budgeting conversation that you had before, Joe, if you have an idea and can track every dollar, even if you do it for a short period of time, it's pretty eye opening how many 10 and 20 and $30 expenses you have that are pretty inconsequential that turn into three, $400 a month. For a lot of people, the difference between like keeping your lips above water and being able to save is three or $400 a month. You know, we talk about this from a college savings standpoint, people who want to pay for their kid's college, it requires give or take a hundred dollars per month, per kid, per year of school you want to pay for. So if you want to pay for four years of college for your newborn, 400 a month from now until they go to college, pretty straightforward. Well, you go, wow, well, where the hell am I going to get $400 a month from? You know, I'm already tapped out. If you did the budget, if you sat down and said, I'm going to keep track of every single solitary dollar, I guarantee for most people, there's that money in the budget. It might be from things that you don't want to cut, but that's a whole different discussion. But those 20 and $30 expenses on a daily, weekly basis add up to a whole bunch of money. So you can cut your way to financial independence. It's just not as fun. I will say that the one argument that pushes me towards saving as opposed to income is just this idea that if you save $10, that's $10 in your pocket. But if you make $10, it's, you know, between seven and $8 in your pocket or even less. 
So that's the one benefit of saving versus making the money is, is you don't have to pay the taxes the same way. Isn't this really though? Neither. I mean, really, isn't it neither or both Come on now? What are you just trying to pick a fight? Like I, I totally went down the side. I didn't even want to do that. I was going to say income. Mm-hmm. It's and now I went, I, I tried to make good radio and now you're going to just rain on everybody's parade no matter what. It's, it, but, it, but it is, it's the gulf between the two. You know, I see people on one side or the other, this one, and that that's what drives me crazy. I'm like, no, it's not either or. It's the gulf between the two because, I mean, we all know people that make money hand over fist and can't save a dime. So it's not about, I mean, you can more Some, money, more sometimes money, more money. we got money. those people intimately. <laughs> Looking at you, Doug. Paula, you were going to say? Oh, was I going to say something? Oh I, oh, I thought I heard you go like you were getting ready to say uh, something brilliant, save the podcast. Uh-oh. No? No. <laughs> High hopes. But it is the gulf between the two, don't you think? I've always referred to this as minding the gap. It's that gap. The gap between savings and it spending. Is, I, but again, just to give one final argument for the earn more side, the only way to grow that gap is by either spending less or earning more or a combination of both. And your potential on either side is different. The spending less potential, there's only a limited bandwidth that you've got there. I totally agree that it's easier on the income. I agree with what you all you guys are saying there. Just don't want people to think that that's the whole argument. So I'll tell you something. The first three of these, maybe it's being in finance for a long time. I just kind of went, yeah, okay. All right. I definitely come down on one side on this last one. Like I even read it and I got all a little angry. And it is rules of thumb versus more nuance. Financial news, uh, Shauna writes, is not unlike any other news. Bold headlines tend to get the attention. Quick rules of thumb can help writers make bold headlines and write a punchy story. You may have heard some of these rules of thumb. You should have uh, one times your income saved for retirement by the time you're 30. Save 10 to 15% of your income for retirement. Spend no more than 30% of your income on housing. 4% rule, right? Rules of thumb versus more nuance. OG? I think you know. 1,000%. Paula? Nuance. (laughs) Except the 4% rule, because that's inviolate, but everything else. (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, in defense of rules of thumb, I will say that that is a great starting point for, for people. You know, like I talk to so many people who say, oh, I know nothing about finance. The whole thing seems overwhelming. And if you can introduce people to this world through broad, rules of thumb. And then if they want to get nerdy about it, they can dive into the nuance. But if they don't want to get nerdy about it, they can just coast on those rules of thumb. I think that's perfectly fine. I think part of the problem with the whole rule of thumb thing is that it can get so overwhelming. Like you said, Paula, with people who are just getting started, if you're somebody who's got up to your eyeballs in consumer debt and you hear people talk about having six months worth of your expenses sitting in a bank account. Mm -hmm. That seems like not only is it not possible for you, it can't possibly be possible for anyone else. And when you think about like the 4% rule and you're just kind of back of the envelope calculating it, not even adding inflation and you say, okay, I want to spend $50,000 a year, you know, cause that's what I make right now. I make 50 grand a year and the internet is telling me, or this quick calculation on BuzzFeed is telling me that I need to have 
freaking $1.2 million. Like there is no freaking way that that's possible. And I think what's detrimental about that is that you start losing time. Then you start going like, you just throw your hands up and go, well, not possible. And then it takes a conversation about it being a little bit more nuanced to go, no, man, it's only $200 a month or it's only, you know, you got to start with 5% in your 401k and then they're going to give you 5% on top of it. And that's how you're going to get there or whatever. And that's going to be personal to that person. So I think my biggest problem with the whole rule of thumb thing, notwithstanding the fact that it's generally wrong, is that it just sends the wrong message. I think it's just too overwhelming for most people. I just think that when it comes to the real actual planning, it's so much easier than people think it is. Like we get overwhelmed and we're like, oh my goodness. And then you look at how much time the really good planners actually spend planning. It doesn't take as long as you think. And it's not as hard as you think. And you start walking down that road and it's so much more satisfying when, when you know that it applies directly to you. And by the way, it is not, it is not impossible. OG, you already know that. All right. First Let's... academic alert, Wiggum Ralph. I'm No, no, Ralph. This means you're failing English. Me fail English? That's impossible. There it is. It's impossible. Unpossible. Not impossible. It's impossible, not impossible. And Ralph Wiggum knows that. Big takeaway from these, Paula? Uh, you know, I was just thinking of a Homer Simpson quote, which is English. Why do I have to learn English? I'm never going to England. <laughs> That's a great, great point. But is that your takeaway? I suppose I'll come up with a better takeaway. Oh, and that man. takeaway is that one point that we discussed in which that brilliant, brilliant host of the Afford Anything podcast recommended not line itemizing your budget, but rather deciding your savings rate, yanking that off the top and spending the rest. I really advocate for that. And I think that that was the best part of this article. You're going to write a letter to Shauna thanking her, aren't you? <laughs> Absolutely. For writing this piece. Doc, you can come up with a better one than that. It's all about the shades of gray. Obviously, depending on who you are and your own situation, you may answer either side of all four of those arguments. And it depends who you are, what your situation is, what your personality is, and what your financial state is. And I think it's different for each person. So as opposed to looking for the one right answer, you need to look for what answers fit your life best. Oh, come on, OG. Fight with those. Fight with that. I don't know that I can do any better than that, but I do appreciate the fact that Paula was able to use herself as her favorite part of today's article. So. <laughs> Getting your goals is way, way, way easier when you can see them. My favorite part of goal setting and using software is when it shows me like uh, the mountain and how to get up the mountain. I think that's fantastic. And I was just playing around online and noticed this uh, new fintech app called Peak, which the graphics on Peak were really, really cool. And while I like packaging as much as the next guy, that meant we had to have Jonathan Yeagle who's the vice president of marketing for Peak, and Michael Brooks, the vice president of product for Peak on the show, to tell me exactly what's going on under the hood while they're helping people get their goals. Let's uh, learn more about Peak.
walking down the stairs to the basement. Look at these two handsome gentlemen, Jonathan and Michael, two of the brains behind Peak join us. How are you guys? Great, Doing great. Well. How are you? Oh, well, I'm great now that you're here. So tell me, and I guess, uh, who should answer this first question about how Peak got started? I love hearing a good origin story. Was it you saw, you know, things weren't going well in the banking industry and you thought you'd help it out? Or was it a personal problem you were having? Who'd like to take that one? Sure, I can take it. This is Jonathan. It's actually a little bit of both in our context. So Michael and I actually originally met when we were working at a previous company together. We were building health and wellness apps, actually, trying to help people improve their personal fitness. And in talking to a lot of our users, to our clients, because we were doing both B2B and B2C, we saw again and again that a big issue that was contributing to people's overall wellness was their finances. And so we just kept hearing from everybody that we were talking to, hey, you know, do you have a solution uh, kind of amidst the different things that you've built that would be able to help with that? And we really didn't. And, you know, as we started to kind of look into the market and what was available, we just didn't see something that we felt like would work for us. So that was kind of the market demand. But as we started researching, we did, I walked into a lot of Starbucks and just asked strangers, hey, can I just ask you about this idea we have for this app? Kind of that on the ground user research, did surveys with thousands of people. And in talking to people, we realized that the things that people needed help with oftentimes was not the highly technical side of finance. It wasn't, I need help building an advanced model or a really complicated spreadsheet. A lot of times it was the the basic things, the developing the right mindset, establishing the healthy habits. And that really was our personal passion. That's our background. That's where we came from. And so we realized we had kind of a unique skill set that could help in the personal finance world in a way that a lot of other companies aren't necessarily bringing. And so that was sort of our aha moment where we realized there was this big problem that was contributing to people's health and happiness. And there was a way for us to help solve it with the skill set that we had been developing for the last 10 years. One of my favorite things about the way that Peak is built is there's this cool looking visualization about the goals, right? We always talk about kind of climbing the mountain. Michael, apparently you drew the short straw being the uh, product, being the chief product guy, or were you the guy that, that thought, hey, we need this to be a visual so people can see where they're going? Tell me about how the visualization piece of Peak came around, because I find that to be really fascinating. Yeah, Absolutely. As Jonathan said, when we first set out to kind of explore the fintech world, we reviewed probably every app that was in the app store labeled under finance. Um, we looked at the sign-up process, the onboarding process. We looked at how users interacted with the apps, and then we actually downloaded them and played around with them. We connected our bank accounts. We paid for different apps, and we just got a chance to see what the landscape was like. And one of the things that came out of our own exploration process was that people wanted to be attached to their money, maybe in a different way than they're used to. And so we looked at things like different visualizations on actual mountains. We looked at all different ways of kind of showing what a peak could be. And so maybe on another day, I can show you all the different drawings that we actually did to get to where we are. But then the beautiful thing about the peaks is that it just started with a really simple 2D illustration. And our engineering team took that and built a generator to uniquely generate a peak 
for every savings goal that you create. And those peaks are customizable. So you can change the terrain, you can change a few of the other attributes about them. You can really make your peak completely unique to you and for the savings goal. So we've seen a lot of people come up with their own color schemes um, inside of their multiple peaks that they have. And we as a team still enjoy that part of the process. Every time I get to start a new savings goal, I get to create a new beautiful peak that looks different and unique to me. So that's something that we were really excited about. And we knew that that was something that people could see and really recognize that this is a peak. This is a digital mountain, something I want to climb and something I want to achieve. So that really became the foundation of some of our visual design. Boy, and I think, Jonathan, to Michael's point, you know, we talk a lot about behavioral economics, right? It's all about changing your behavior and being able to customize that. I'm sure you guys have seen users, even here early on, this helps people change their behavior, which is much more important than just a pretty app. Definitely. And it's interesting, actually, we sort of picked the name peak as essentially a play on words. So obviously, a peak is a mountaintop. It's this goal that you're moving towards. But it's also kind of an adjective or a descriptor, sort of like peak performance. And that's kind of this dynamic that we're looking at all the time is we want to help you identify where you're going, but we also spend a lot of time thinking about how you get there. So it's really a destination and a journey simultaneously. The interesting thing that I wonder is, do you ever find that people are afraid to see just how far away the peak is at first? That's something that we've been talking about a lot. What is people's experience in this goal setting process? I actually have been surprised. I will say that I was wrong early on. I really thought that the accomplishment of the goal would be the big anchoring point and that people would feel, you know, and, and I'm sure that they do feel progressively more excited and happier as they get closer. But we've been surprised to see that a lot of people are really enjoying the process. So one, setting up the goal. A lot of people have those goals in the back of their mind, but just to have it in a more concrete format where they can see it all in one place is really powerful. And then I, I think it is just kind of the day-to-day -day coming back to the app and seeing that you're making gradual progress, I think is really encouraging for people. Michael, uh, walk me through it now, because now that we've got everybody's attention about the visuals and about the financial plan, walk me through how it works. Do I start off by going to the app or do I go to the website first? Walk me through the process. Yeah, sure. You can go to the website to download the app. Um, we have a landing page. If you go to peakmoney.com, you can download the app straight from the website. But in general, to start, Peak is free. You can download it in the App Store. And it's really easy to get started. We spend a lot of time on the onboarding process to really try to alleviate some of that pain that people are used to when signing up for accounts or bank accounts. Um, we wanted to make it really seamless, intuitive, and, and very simple for our users just to really get on board quickly and start saving. So to start, you get the app, you create an account with Peak, and then we help you link it to your bank account so that we can transfer money between the two. And then we get you started by creating your first savings goal. And then that goes back to the visualizations. So when you start your first savings goal, we ask you just a few simple questions. How much money do you need and when do you need it by? And then for each savings goal, you get to create a 3D digital mountain. And that's what we got the chance to talk about earlier. And you can customize those and really make them unique to you. And once you set that peak up, we also give you a few opportunities to automate that. And so one of the things we do is allow you to schedule a save or an automatic save for a later date, or you can do it bi-weekly, monthly. And then you also can turn on roundups. And so roundups are a cool feature that you can connect another 
card to peak and every time you spend those roundups can go into your peak. So we've seen a lot of users set up these automatic saving goals where money is coming out bi-weekly or coming out every time they get a paycheck, but also when they come back, their roundups are accruing and so they're hitting their peak goals a little faster. I love the idea of roundups. It's funny for anybody, no matter what you're doing, if you can round up, it makes it so much easier to meet your goals. And I meet people all the time that aren't doing that, don't have that turned on. And it's simple. It it takes only a little tiny haircut, usually out of your budget. You don't miss the money. And next thing you know, you know, on the top of your page, Michael, you guys have a beach trip. You need 850 bucks. It makes that 850 bucks go much quicker. Absolutely. And we've seen too, roundups are kind of a funny thing. They also, it almost rewards you for using your card. So it has this inverse relationship with you're not as mad at spending for a coffee because you know some of that money is actually kicking back to your savings. Um, so roundups are a really fun feature that we think a lot of people really enjoy seeing those peaks grow without them really actively doing much. Jonathan, you don't stop there. You also help people accelerate their savings. You give people bonuses along the way for, for saving and kind of meeting milestones toward their goal. Tell me about that. The primary way that we do that is a 1% annual return. So we distribute that quarterly. That's kind of the, the guaranteed system that you have by using Peak. We also have a number of different campaigns throughout the year. We recently, uh, in January, did a New Year's New Peaks campaign where people could share the different goals that they're pursuing and get rewarded for that in, in a couple of different ways. So we're actually building uh, a couple of different things that may create more of a direct system around how those rewards would level up as you get closer to your goal. But right now, just having a guaranteed way that you're getting a return was something that we felt was really important, especially as people are learning to save and understanding the importance of compounding interest. We just wanted to make sure that that was part of the product. And you also on the on, on the website, the next step is I like the idea of milestones because to Michael's point earlier, you know, sometimes that that peak might seem kind of high. How do you show people that you reached a milestone? Do I get notifications? You talk about little celebrations. Tell me about how that works. Or is that meant to be a surprise? It is a surprise, but a sneak peek. When you hit your goal, we do provide a visual fanfare around your digital mountain <laughs> that we really like. And so we encourage you to go start saving money and hit that goal so you can see it. That's so awesome. And and I'm sure when you guys look at users of Peak, Jonathan, it isn't just, um, you know, these big goals. Some, I mean, you got to see, I would imagine, a mixture of big goals, small goals, like across the board. Definitely. At this point, the most common goals are some of the bigger things. We see a lot of new car, down payment, trip, funds. But yeah, it, honestly, it is fun to see everything in between. And that's part of the reason that we do things like the New Year, New Peaks campaign, just so that we can get to see some of those things. And, you know, everything from people saving for shoes to concert tickets. There's a lot of really cool experiences that people are excited about. Actually, saving for school is another big one, saving oh, yeah. for tuition or grad school. I think that makes us feel like we're part of that journey. We're getting to support them in reaching this big goal in their life. Yeah, Cheryl and I try to take a trip every year, like a big expensive trip, and I like saving for it ahead of time. And I'm, I'm just thinking, I want to set that up as soon as you guys leave. But uh, let's talk about this. Michael, when you're looking at the product, two things. Number one, how do you guys make money? Right now, it's really about the marginal interest. Um, we give our users the 1% annual return distributed quarterly, but we make a little bit of money off of that. 
And currently we're exploring different opportunities down the road to really push on where and how we make that money. Um, currently we're focused on user growth and deposit growth with our users and really just trying to build out the best feature set that supports them right now. And we're convinced that if we can continue to grow our users and continue to grow the community, that we're going to have a lot of opportunities down the road to kind of turn those knobs. And speaking of opportunities, you gentlemen know nobody listens to the show. It's just you and I, so you can share deep, dark secrets about what's coming up. What do you see is up next for Peak? Where are you guys headed next? Yeah, so in general, we want to continue to build the things that our users love. Um, and right now, we're really focused on developing more ways to help reduce their financial stress. And so throughout the app, you can see a couple different ways that we're already doing that. We want to go a little bit further on that. We also, when we set out to build Peak, we really tried to build the best possible savings app out there. Um, we aren't quite there yet, but we're really excited about our product roadmap, and we have some really cool things that are coming later this year. Man, I don't know. It looks great to me, just the way it is. I mean, that's, why we, that's why we want to have you on. I think it, it just the look is fantastic. Uh, got a lot of people out there that are Android users. Tell me about the roadmap to including them. Yeah, definitely. We've been asked this question uh, a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> in the beginning, we really just wanted to focus on iOS. Um, that allowed us to move fast. Um, we could build and iterate quickly without having to support multiple platforms. Um, but going forward, we definitely have some ideas of really expanding where Peak is and how you access Peak. And so I would tell all those Android users just to stay tuned. All right, deal. I, I like how specific you are about that, Michael. Nice job. <laughs> I, I'm under strict rules by my engineering team to not speak about that kind of stuff yet. Well, well, Jonathan, mom told me that uh, you guys had a great offer just for our listeners, which thank you so much for doing that. That was when you reached out and said, hey, we can do something special. Tell us what you have for uh, stackers. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a big fan of you and wanted to support other people in the audience. And so we'll actually be able to offer a $20 savings match for the Stacker audience. So if you are a subscriber to the Stacker newsletter, all you need to do is email us at hello at peakmoney.com once you've created your Peak account and use the subject line money party. We will match your first $20 of savings. So you can put that towards anything. You can take a trip and come visit Joe in the basement. That's right. You can come to game night. You got to come to <laughs> come to board game night in the basement. Uh, well, thank you so much for that. And it's exciting because when people sign up for the stacker, you also get kind of my journey and you get a piece of like me trying to be at peak as well. So peak efficiency. Michael, Jonathan, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes to talk about Peak. By the way, guys, we'll have links to everything that Jonathan and Michael talked about in our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. So if you forget Peak Money, we got you covered. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And are you ready for my famous Ken Day-themed trivia? Here's the question. While guys everywhere know who Ken is, he had an even more famous friend named uh, Barbie. How much did the first Barbie cost? I'll be back with the answer and maybe a sports car or your dream house in just a moment. He's going to have some fun with those, I'm sure. Those can keep uh, a guy like Doug entertained for minutes. 
the score of this shindig is Len, who Doc is playing for today, has three. OG pulled even with three. And Paula has one, which means, Paula, you get to decide, are you going to guess first in the middle or last how much Barbie originally cost? I will guess last. OG? Uh, I'll go first, yeah. All right, which puts Doc in the middle playing for Len. So uh, what are you thinking, OG? How much did Barbie cost when she first came out? All right. Did we know when Barbies first came out? Is that information? We, we, we didn't. We did not give that you that information. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see here. It is 2020. I believe Barbies been around quite a while, at least since like 2005. <laughs> Maybe slightly before that. You trying to run some interference on Paula there? 1995. Fine. They've been around <laughs> since the 90s. <laughs> 19 and 50. So I think that um, over a lifetime of some people, the consumer price index has got to have gone up. uh, It's got to double twice probably over that period of time. Barbies now might be, I don't know, are they 20 bucks a throw? So I'm going to say Barbie was um, $3 and uh, 15 cents. Not including taxes. Three fifteen, Doc. Well, first of all, if I'm playing for Len, I, I have to decide whether I want to throw this or not. Because I think that's the, <laughs> that's the first question. <laughs> Making friends already. I think OG's a little high. I'm going to go for one fifty. All right. Well, Paula, there's your goalposts. Oof. Yeah. When I first heard the question, my initial thought was somewhere around a dollar, but you know, I think I'm going to claim the area in the middle. I'm going to guess 151. Oh, and that'll that'll give you uh, well halfway up to OG anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, Doc, you got everything south of 150. Then I would love to tell you who's right, but of course I can't do that yet. So we'll be right back. We hear a lot in the news about Greece being in debt. But actually, when you think about it, we're all in eternal debt to Greece for inventing Greek yogurt. When you try an Aristophanes yogurt, just like the Acropolis, you'll lose your marbles over that smooth Greek taste every time. Aristophanes yogurts. Keep it Greek. All right, OG, you are significantly higher, my friend, than the other two at $3.15. How are you feeling? I don't know. I have no idea how much they are presently, so I don't have a sense for where they were back in the, whenever they came out, 1990s. Doc, you just, you've got the whole bottom end of the pool here, dollar fifty and below. Yeah, I figure I can't lose. I either get it right and I win or Len loses. I mean, it's a win-win. And Paula implements her first Chelsea Brennan technique of the short season. (laughs) Oh, I'm back, baby. I'm back. It's getting cutthroat from here on out. Well, let's see if uh, this is going to work for Paula and she gets back in the game today. Doug? Welcome back, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And okay, uh, okay. I'll put down the handheld mirror to admire my wonderful hair like Ken did in all of those commercials. Let's see. uh, Oh, yeah, I got your trivia answer right here. Here we go. Oh, uh, let's recap the trivia question, shall we? How much did the first Barbie cost? 
Well, she looks great for her age, as does Ken. But Barbie is 61 years old. So Barbie first sold at a time when gas prices were around 51 cents a gallon. So if you said that Barbie cost a whopping $3, you'd be right. Now, uh, you know, time for me to get back to focusing on my Ken-like abs of solid concrete. See ya! Woohoo, that was pretty darn close, OG. Yeah. Good thing we didn't play closest without going over. I thought, yeah, exactly. I then Paula would have been back in business. This, <laughs> right. th- this whole new rule thing, Paula, just messing I, with you. Totally. It's throwing me for a loop. That is yeah. horrible. Three bucks. Hot darn. There it is. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Doc, you know what happens when you go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money? Something really important. And amazing. You find out that those brick and mortar bake products you use, not that good because over 92% of the products available online all rank to magnify money. And you can choose from a much better list. In fact, it's it's so sad. Did you guys, do you see the thing about Bank of America? This has been a little while ago now, but Bank of America just saying in their quarterly earnings report, Savers not demanding that savings accounts pay any more money, so they're not. <laughs> Bank of America telling their customers in the earnings report, we're handing it to the shareholders instead of you. Over 92%. I appreciate the candor. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Does that make you want to go bank with them, Paula? It makes me want to be a shareholder. Be a sh- <laughs> hey, they're ripping off their customers. Give me some of that stock. <laughs> I want that one. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. Today, we're going to help Mike magnify his money. Say hi, Mike. Hey, Joe and OG. I am trying to create a fancy dancy spreadsheet to keep a year to date record of my family's finances. And I'm trying to figure out where I should put everything. I use Mint but I want to be a little bit more in control of how things look. I have one question for you. Do I put retirement contributions in the expense category or in the savings category? Mint categorizes it as an expense, but I view it more as a savings. So I don't know. Oh, and if you could do me a solid and let Doug know that I will be coming over for his mom's meatloaf, that'd be great. See ya. You guys can pass it on to him. I'm not passing it on. That we're getting those two yahoos together. This is actually very, very apropos, Mike, because our whole panel just got done saying that they don't like to budget. And Mike brings the budget question. So perfect. OG, let's go to you. Expense or uh, savings? I'm actually tearing up because I'm trying not to laugh at how utterly ridiculous this question is. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Like, what the f- kind of question is this? Where do I put my retirement under what spreadsheet heading? Like, what the hell is wrong with people? Like, this is a stay up at night question of some kind. Ah, I was looking at my spreadsheet. And I don't know where to put this. What color do you think I should use, guys? What font? I was thinking about Cambria, but that's kind of the go-to that Microsoft uses these days. But Helvecchia is kind of a little bit more my style. <laughs> oh my god! You know Mike's an engineer. Oh. You know Mike's an engineer. <laughs> oh, I chalk it up to dude was like, 
All right, straight up. I need a new T-shirt. <laughs> I don't want to really divulge anything personal at this moment. <laughs> so, Paula, you want to take it? <laughs> oh, I don't know how I can follow up I that. Can, yeah, I can take. I feel one like for the any words out of my mouth would be boring from this point forward. <laughs> Doc, you want it? Yes. So, I guess you consider it an expense when you're looking at budgeting and you consider it savings when you're looking at your net worth. So if you're figuring out your budget for the month, yes, you should look at it as an expense because that money will not be available for other parts of your budget. But when it comes to your general financial situation, that's part of your net worth. It's savings. That's why Mint characterizes it as an expense because it's leaving your wallet to go into your other wallet. I mean, it makes sense as a budgeting tool, right? So if you're going to look, if you're, if budgeting is really what you're using Mint for, then I would consider it an expense. And what's interesting, if you think about the haziness around the definition of savings, it's quite clear that retirement savings are savings. Like sure, from Mint.com's structure, Mint might classify that heading as an expense insofar as it affects your cash flow. But clearly, retirement savings are a form of savings. We all get that. But let's think about if you're paying a mortgage, right, a PITI mortgage, the principal portion of that PITI payment, most people would refer to that as an expense. And yet, that doesn't adversely affect your net worth. It simply transitions from cash into equity. And so arguably, the principal portion of your PITI mortgage is also not an expense other than the fact that it has an impact on your monthly cash flow. And it gets tied up in equity, which you know then performs at 0% unless you borrow against it. So take that, Mint. <laughs> and and so I think that all of this really speaks to like the fuzzy definition of what is savings and what is not, because all savings is deferred spending. So if you save money for a car and then you buy that car, well, is the purchase of that car an expense or is the purchase of that car the result of accumulated savings, assuming you bought it in cash? I think I still like OG's answer best. <laughs> I think I think probably. Uh, thanks for that, Mike. We haven't heard a tirade like that out of OG in a long time. So nice job. Good work. That's going to do it for today. By the way, if you want to call in with maybe a uh, little bit more personal question than Mike had, it's uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail for more. All right. Let's talk about what you yahoos are doing today. Uh, OG, besides this show, you're not doing another one. So what's going on this weekend? <laughs> I'm not doing another one. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I ought to start that one one of these days, huh? Someday. Uh, someday. Uh, this weekend is the end of spring break. My wife and middle kid have been out skiing all week, so that's been fun to be hanging out solo with the other two. But I'm heading to Michigan this weekend for some client meetings and maybe a little podcast recording. I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. Could but, be fun. Uh, could be a good it time. Could be. It might be. We have a secret podcasting project that we're going to be working on, which is going to be kind of hilarious. Codename Secret Podcasting Project. Yes. Yes. So no one will guess what it is. Not at all. Or that it's secret. Right. I hear things remain secret when you broadcast them to an audience of <laughs> ones <Six>. or twos. <laughs> yeah. 
tens, tens, <laughs> tens. <laughs> whoa, whoa, tens whoa. of people in this audience. Easy. Paula, what's going on at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, of course, there's a guy by the name of Joe Saul Cihai who joins me about once a month. That's scary. To answer questions that come from the community. Uh, we also have an interview with Grant Baldwin. He is a entrepreneur who talks about how he quit his job. He did the opposite of what people in the fire movement do. When his wife was four or five months pregnant, he quit his job with absolutely zero savings and zero plan. So he talks about what compelled him to do that and what happened next. And how soon it took for the divorce to happen. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, they are living happily ever after, which is very they nice. Are. Yes. They are. They're living happily ever after. So he talks about uh, how he got from point A to point today. Yeah. Sorry. I should have said spoiler there, Paula. I shouldn't have, uh, <laughs> shouldn't have done the foreshadowing of that ending. Doc, what's going on at the What's Up Next podcast? So I am currently hanging out at the White Coat Investor Conference in Las Vegas and preparing to go give a talk in Pennsylvania next week for a medical conference. On the What's Up Next podcast, we have the why of board games and personal finance. Can you believe they did that without me? Don't know how that happened. You know, our scheduler just did not get you for some reason. I, I don't know. You must have fallen through the cracks. I think somebody needs to get canned, OG. It's a woeful oversight. Richie. Richie's <laughs> Richie. going down. It's always Richie. Does does Richie schedule for you too? <laughs> you weren't supposed to know about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. We'll link to all those on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. Let me just finish polishing up my Corvette and I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, while experts don't always agree on financial advice, knowledge is power. Understanding why experts disagree will show you the truth, which as always is in the gray area. Second, striving to get some big financial goals, whether you use Peak or a different app, Building a visual map to your goals will help you stay on track, meet milestones, and get there faster. But the big lesson? Barbie's dream house doesn't hold a candle to living in a basement. What's a dream house without a hot water heater in the corner? Uh, you, you know, canned peaches right over there. And I mean, what more could a guy want? I'm in the lap of luxury here. Special thanks to Doc G for coming down to the basement. You can find him wherever you're listening to this podcast under the What's Up Next podcast. Also, thanks to Jonathan Yagel and Michael Brooks for stopping down to the basement to let us know just how easy it can be to reach our financial goals. Want to take advantage of the fantastic Peak Matching offer? Head to peakmoney.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. 
There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. The people responsible for this show have been sacked. It makes me mad that I couldn't get you guys to fight more. I just, I don't know if you guys know this, but this is supposed to be like a Jerry Springer episode. Got to be throwing stuff. Oh, Jerry Springer was the mayor of my hometown. He was the mayor of your hometown. Did you live there when he was mayor? I don't know. I actually don't know what years in which he was mayor. I don't, I don't know either, but that, that's, I I bet the Google would know. Let me, let me find that. If only there was a device that fit in our hand that could tell us that. (laughs) Or we can speculate. I prefer to speculate. Oh, that could be a trivia question. That could, that could be. Uh, Springer, Mayor, what year? But let's talk about while Paula's looking that up. Nineteen seventy-seven. So, oh, so that, no, that was before I existed. Just a just a hair before Paula existed, and swinging a miss. He was too early. He was too early. Too early. I did not live under the reign of Mayor Springer. <laughs> I was wondering if any of you have any times when you just had like a really dumb argument, you know, not about personal finance, just a, just an argument where you're like, come on, how am I involved? How am I even involved in this? OG? Well, as you were talking about this, there is a uh, restaurant that we go to here in Dallas. It's a, it's a steak restaurant, right? So what do you think they have on the menu? Steak? Steak. Yes, with the accompaniments that come with steak, like potatoes and cream corn and stuff. Anyways, so they just send a message out to all their constituents. I'm on their email list that says, our menu has something for everyone. Try our new plant-based and vegetarian options. And it's got like all this stuff that you can order at the steakhouse. And all I could think of is this is like the end. The end is near. That a steakhouse has sold out. There's nothing wrong with wanting a cauliflower steak, I guess, if that's your thing. But come on, know your niche, right? Your niche is like (laughs) meat eaters. This is going to... And then they try to dress it up. They're like, this is our portobello mignon. It's like, no, it's not. It's a mushroom. And I'm sure it's delicious because it's made with profession. This is my argument. This is the seemingly there it is argument. wrong place to be offering that menu. Yes. Um, no, I have a, uh, I kind of feel like we've told this story before though, about driving home from Colorado. I don't know what with, story you're referring with, with to my, with, I mean, with my wife, the then girlfriend, let's wait till you get three quarters of the way done. And then we'll say, Oh no, you told that before. 
<laughs> oh no, we've heard this one. We while we were dating on a winter break over winter break, she had a friend that lived in Colorado Springs. And so we drove from Michigan to Colorado Springs and uh, went skiing in Breckenridge. It was awesome. And had a couple of days up there. But on the last day, I mean, we were only there probably three days. On the last day, she was just too tired. I'm too tired. I don't want to ski anymore. I'm tired. My legs are tired. And that was enough to put me on tilt because the ski tickets, I mean, they're exponentially more expensive now, 20 years later, but I just couldn't believe that you would not want to do, you were like, you know, so it's like, and I just got angrier and angrier through the day. And then it was time for us to leave. And we drove from Breckenridge to Colorado Springs and dropped her friend off. And then we were headed back home, back to Michigan. And I just remember like the thing that was going on in my head was my mom saying, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And so my argument was to not talk. And so we didn't say a word to each other from Breckenridge, Colorado to Jackson, Michigan. And she just let you go. Well, in Jackson, she started crying and said, are you mad at me? Oh. But it was, it was, you know, I look back at it it's pretty comical now because it's like, God, that trip sucked so bad with like no radio, no talking. It was just dead silence for 20 hours in the car. I thought you were going to say that your wife told you that that was the best trip she had ever taken. (laughs) (laughs) I think she would look back and say that that probably is the case. It didn't get better than that. What happened to that guy that I fell in love with? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, you know, you look, you go, boy, that was a pretty stupid thing to be mad about for a long time. But so it really wasn't an argument. That was just me shutting my mouth for a day, which is rather difficult today, even. So we were driving. We got a call that my uh, father-in-law had fallen down and that he probably wasn't going to recover. Things were looking were looking bad. And so Cheryl's uncle, who is her dad's older brother, and I were in the car, were at my house in Texas. And so we were driving to Michigan. And so it's a, maybe all the bad stuff happens on the road to Michigan. Maybe that's, You're just stuck. That's the problem. Maybe that's the deal. And I love, I love Cheryl's uncle. But he gets something in his head that's exactly right. And we're stuck in the car for a bunch of hours together. And I remember we got word at maybe 11 o'clock in the morning and left around noon, which meant that now it's about 2 a.m. And we've made it to Indianapolis and we have maybe three hours to go. And I said something. There was something on the radio about ghosts. And I said something about Hey, have you ever, you know, heard any good ghost stories? And Cheryl's uncle turns to me and goes, no such thing as ghosts. And I have this story that happened to my entire family that cannot be explained. However, it might not have been a ghost, but at that time it didn't flip and matter. I think we were all exhausted. We all kind of knew there was bad stuff coming when we got to Michigan, that it was going to get worse. So I decided to dig in my heels and for the next two hours, <laughs> what got us home was going back and forth on the existential thing of whether, of whether there's ghosts or not. It was, it was the fantastically dumbest argument I think I've ever had. Did you convince him? Uh, uh, unfortunately, no. 
No, and it actually got to a point where I was just pouring salt in it. It was like, oh yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was, it was horrible. I think all that happened, Doc, was I made sure that he was pretty peeved at me by the time we got home because <laughs> I wasn't going to let it go. And he wasn't going to let it go that I was an idiot and that, no, there's no such thing as ghost. He was looking for one of those OG car rides he to Michigan. <laughs> He's just hoping that's you would what, shut that, up. That's what he was looking for. And, and I got to tell you, I went from almost falling asleep at Indianapolis to completely awake, though. That was the good thing. Isn't Indianapolis the cutoff on the drive back from Texas to Michigan where that is where you about die? Yes. Because the last time we drove back from, from Texas up to Michigan – there was a space of time as we drove around Indianapolis where like all of a sudden we were near Fort Wayne or like we were on the road, Fort Wayne. And like that moment clicked in my head, like, wow, we just drove like 80 miles and I have no memory of it. Like <laughs> that did not compute. So I, that was, I pulled off to the side of the road and that's when my wife's like, this was obviously not that same story, but a different one, but I pulled off to the side of the road and I'm like, yeah, you got to go. And she would like, I don't think we made it one more exit and I was passed out. You know what I mean? Like I was so exhausted by that time. Meaning so. you got to go, Matt, you got to drive. Not you got to get out of the car. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> I was like, this is, you're, you're out. That's it. This isn't That's another, it. you being... you and the kids. <laughs> I've got this the rest of my way, by the way, by myself, take them all. You're just digging yourself a hole, man. That will not end. Yeah. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.